Tonight, the massive tremor and the terror. A catastrophic earthquake strikes Turkey and Syria. A crucial race to rescue survivors. You've got complete obliteration. Trapped in the rubble as aftershocks rock the region. <laughs> Tracking the science and Canada's response. Free bus tickets and broken dreams send asylum seekers north. Some want to go to Canada. New York City pays to push migrants out. Plus, breaking barriers in opera. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Using their voices to make music and send a powerful message. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. A desperate search for survivors is underway tonight across Turkey and Syria after a devastating earthquake followed by powerful aftershocks. That's just one of 5,600 buildings that collapsed inside Turkey. While in Syria, rescue workers exhausted from the ravages of a civil war that has lasted more than a decade now dig through rubble from the quake. Thousands were rescued, according to Turkish officials, but across both countries, at least 4,300 people are dead. Our coverage begins with CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman, reporting tonight from Istanbul. Paul. Omar, Turkey has entered seven days of national mourning, with officials expecting the number of dead to rise steadily in the days ahead. A fault line that shifted and buckled, and within seconds, a crushing wave of destruction turned towns, villages, and parts of cities into a burial ground. The high number, 7.8 on the earthquake scale, told the story across a sweep of landscape. They had nothing to eat all day, were in the epicenter of the quake, and lost their home, but made it out alive. I have two aunts, a brother-in-law, and two cousins missing, she says. Can they breathe? Are they hungry? Are they dead or alive? She's desperate to know. Turkey is prone to earthquakes, but this violent shaking was slowly building over the span of a century. Made worse by the timing, just before dawn, when millions were trapped in their beds. It took almost two minutes, he says, for the shaking to stop. As the horror of what happened began to sink in, the ground rumbled again. A second quake, almost as powerful as the first. In other words, twins, both shallow, close to the Earth's surface, inflicting even greater damage. Dust and devastation chasing this family blindly to safety. Throughout the day, the number of dead and injured rose so fast, it felt like guesswork, but it wasn't. Hulusi Ibrahim was waiting for rescuers to find his wife, knowing she was gone. I just can't bring myself to say it. The destruction spread with relentless force beyond Turkey into northwestern Syria, a country already ravaged by years of war and suffering. The little that did survive, or what they'd managed to rebuild, suddenly gone. 
as were entire families. They survived bullets and bombs only to be killed by a natural disaster. I'm waiting to pull out my brother and his family, he says. Everybody is pulling out their own. God help us. It's a very difficult task for us. We need help. We need the international community to do something to help us, to support us. The searching is both frantic and futile in the cold and rain and snow of winter, which makes the next 24 hours something of a crucial deadline for finding survivors. A huge international effort is underway here. Dozens of rescue teams are working through the night and through the risk of another earthquake, Omar. So much anxiety and despair. Paul Workman in Istanbul tonight. Turkey and Syria were already linked by a refugee crisis created by the Syrian civil war. The earthquake has made that dire situation worse. The prime minister says Canada will step up. Canada is looking at how we can help directly and immediately, but also how we can work with the international community uh, to be there for people who are suffering right now in the immediate and for the long term. A dozen Canadian aid agencies are also raising money to help. CTV's Adrian Gobriel on the urgent need. A natural disaster that's brought one humanitarian crisis crashing down on top of another. There are between Syria and, and that area in Turkey about 4 million refugees and displaced people. Former Canadian diplomat Arif Lalani has spent time in the hardest hit southern Turkish cities. It is the worst tragedy to happen at the worst time uh, in the worst place. We don't need empathy, we need actions. Speaking to CTV News from Istanbul, Syrian refugee Rabi Kabrut's family live in the southern Turkish city of Diyarbakir. They're now sheltering in their vehicle. The stairs collapsed, so if you manage to access inside the building, you will not be able to reach the third floor. The struggle to reach loved ones back home, a horrific experience for Turkish Canadians. Another friend who lives here, his sister is underground right now. Inside this Turkish cafe in Vancouver, many desperate to help share the dire situation facing their families. Some of the roads are blocked, so the rescue teams are not able to arrive exactly on time. A woman from Kitchener, Ontario, living in Turkey, still felt the quake despite living five hours from the epicenter. They sort of woke me up. Melissa Balan says in Turkey, some emergency measures are underway. They're having buses to take people to hospitals for blood donations. While they may be a world away, relief efforts are also taking place at local organizations across Canada. We started getting a list of requirements from the people on the ground, and we are going to kind of coordinate our efforts. The United Nations has called for an international response to the crisis. Tonight, 45 countries have reached out to Turkey including the UK, the US, Canada, and even war-torn Ukraine. Omar. Adrian Gobriel on the relief efforts here in Canada. Among the missing is an international soccer player. Christian Atsu was believed to be inside a building in Turkey that was destroyed. The 31-year-old from Ghana had played for Chelsea and Newcastle in the UK. Canadian Sam Adukubi is one of Atsu's teammates in Turkey. Today, he confirmed he is safe. Posting on social media, may God have mercy on us. The World Health Organization is warning tonight the death toll in Turkey could increase eightfold. So this quake has the potential to be just as deadly as the one in 1999 that killed more than 17,000 people. 
The country's worst earthquake happened in 1939. An estimated 33,000 people died in that disaster. Turkey lies on a hotbed of seismic activity. Since the start of the 20th century, there have been as many as 76 deadly earthquakes, along with tens of thousands of less powerful tremors. And joining us now is seismologist Stephen Halchuk from Natural Resources Canada. Mr. Halchuk, good to see you. This quake struck along the Anatolian plate. What makes this region one of the most seismically active in the world? So Turkey is located on a small plate known as the Anatolian plate. And right next to it are two other plates, the Arabian plate to the southeast and to the southwest is the African plate. These are all coming to converging together and grinding against each other, building up stresses. And this stress is released in the form of earthquakes. And this quake, Mr. Halchuk, especially catastrophic because it was so shallow. That's correct. Our best estimate of the depth was about 18 kilometers below the surface. And because it's that shallow, the shaking that's caused by the release of so much energy is that much more devastating at the surface nearby. Brutal force of nature. Stephen Halchuk, thank you for this tonight. And closer to home, a late-night quake startled residents across the border in Buffalo, New York, when a magnitude 3.8 struck the city around 6.15 this morning. It's the area's strongest earthquake in 40 years and could be felt on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. I was just making myself a pot of coffee, and I heard this big boom, and the, everything shook. And I thought, my gosh, it's a, it's a bomb. A major shock, but fortunately no damage or injuries. We are getting new details tonight about a possible health care deal between Ottawa and the provinces ahead of a key meeting tomorrow between the Prime Minister and the Premiers. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor on the potential prognosis to a crisis and the politics. Hi, Premier Smith. A succession of premiers arrived in Ottawa. That number one priority for our government. All awaiting the offer. We're looking at a long-term sustainable funding model um, for generations to come. With health care systems in crisis, the premiers want the prime minister to pledge major increases. We will be there putting more money on the table. Uh, but it's also important to make sure that the focus is on results and outcomes. In tomorrow's meeting, Justin Trudeau was expected to propose 10 years of increases to the Canada health transfer Ottawa sends to every province each year and separate deals with each province for additional funding targeted to their specific needs. A key concern for Atlantic Canada with an aging population. That's a massive difference in demographics and one that definitely impacts the delivery of health care and, frankly, the cost of health care. Among the list of federal priorities, primary care, with many patients like Frank McNeil scrambling to find basic treatment. So now I'm trying to find a walk-in clinic for a simple ear infection, and it seems like they're either closed or the wait times are insane. In return for the money, the federal government wants data, clear metrics that show it's spent on treating patients. But from Quebec, a jurisdictional concern. We don't need the federal government to tell us how to invest the money. To some premiers, though, it's the size of the check that matters. To bump up the 22% of Canada's total health care costs, they say Ottawa currently covers. For a federal government to uh, you know, participate uh, to the full, full degree, the 35% of our, of our health care system. Meeting that target would add about $28 billion to a federal budget already in deep deficit. We recognize that there do need to be investments in our health care system. 
There's little expectation the first ministers will finalize a deal tomorrow, but they'll have to move quickly if any new health money is included in the federal budget coming this spring. Omar. All right, Glenn, thank you. Police have charged a 44-year-old Ontario man with making death threats against a Kitchener-area member of parliament. Liberal MP Tim Lewis says his office notified police after the comments were made online. The suspect is expected in court next month. The threat to the U.S. and Canada by Chinese surveillance is under further scrutiny tonight after a significant revelation from the head of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, who admitted previous Chinese spy balloons went undetected. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver on the puzzle and the search for the pieces. Off the Carolina coast, specialized crews are searching a section of the ocean, 15 football fields long by 15 football fields wide, and slowly pulling pieces of the Chinese spy balloon to shore. Boom! Two days after it was shot down. The balloon is completely destroyed. By a U.S. fighter jet. What China did was unacceptable. We protected civilians and we gained more intel while protecting our own sensitive information. NORAD officials say the balloon was about 200 feet tall, with a technology attachment the size of a small commercial airplane weighing more than 2,000 pounds. China maintains it was only a weather balloon that veered off course and today called the decision to shoot it down an unacceptable and irresponsible act. We made it clear to China what we're going to do. They understand our position. We're not going to back off. We did the right thing. The balloon first entered U.S. airspace on January 28th through Alaska before heading into western Canada, then re-entering the U.S. on Tuesday, where it was spotted over Montana. The head of NORAD says its path was no mistake. The balloon was trying to collect information on the two countries. This was uh, an unacceptable infringement of uh, airspace uh, and Canadian sovereignty, and that is precisely why uh, we have been closely coordinating in our binational efforts with the United States. Initially, there was speculation that a second balloon had entered Canadian airspace. The head of NORAD says CF-18s were deployed, Omar, but that they couldn't find anything to corroborate the reports. All right, any thanks. A dramatic sight in the skies over eastern Ohio today when crews released toxic chemicals from a derailed train to reduce the threat of a potentially deadly explosion. Plumes of black smoke and flames billowed as five rail cars worth of vinyl chloride were burned off. Police went door to door before the controlled burn began to enforce a five square kilometer evacuation zone. About 50 cars derailed in the fiery crash Friday night due to a mechanical issue with one of the car's axles. Coming up after the break. That's nothing, that's no, uh, no information. Migrants driven from New York to the Canadian border and beyond. Plus, the groundbreaking art making a commentary on life. New York is giving free bus tickets to asylum seekers to take them upstate near the border with Canada. City officials say it's to help the migrants, but some believe it's just a way to get them out of the United States altogether. CTV's Quebec Bureau Chief Genevieve Beauchemin on the desperate hunt for a permanent home. Each day, dozens of asylum seekers make the trek to Roxham Road to cross from the U.S. into Canada. And it now seems some head north to the irregular border crossing with the help of a free bus ticket, courtesy New York City. 
Since last spring, states alongside the southern border of the U.S. have bused tens of thousands of migrants across the country to New York. This weekend, an article in the New York Post revealed the city is now offering them bus rides out. Some want to go to Canada, some wants to go to warmer states. Mayor Eric Adams confirmed to Fox 5 News authorities are footing the bill, including for rides to Plattsburgh near the American border. If they're seeking to go somewhere else, we are helping in the reticketing process. National Guard members are even on hand to help out at the New York bus terminal. They greet people, answer questions, and direct them to services, including transportation options that they seek, the governor's office told CTV News. Some question whether this is New York's way to pass on its responsibilities. Since last spring, the city has been struggling with a surge of asylum seekers, racing to open emergency shelters and to offer help to families in need. But community organizations in Quebec, too, are now struggling and crying out for help. In 2022, nearly 40,000 asylum seekers crossed at Roxham Road, some after journeys across several countries, arriving with little more than the clothes on their backs. The province put up some emergency funding today, but is also demanding action from Ottawa. There is an overflow of these uh, people in a very short period of time, uh, and we ha hadn't planned to groups helping asylum seekers, this is yet another sign that agreements between Canada and the U.S. on immigration need an update. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. A horrifying close call for a group of skaters near the Toronto Islands after an icy surface gave way. Two skaters plunged six meters while a passerby trying to help also fell in the frigid water. Police and paramedics pulled out the trio, trapped for 16 minutes. Incredible amount of time to get them, but that is not a lot of time in terms of survivability. If it was longer than that, I don't know if we would have had the positive outcome. All three were rushed to hospital and treated for hypothermia. A cold snap in southern Greece has come with a warning to the public urging them to stay indoors. Snow covered the Acropolis in Athens and other ancient monuments. Schools, shops and some transit services were also shut down and there were blackouts. And from cold weather to the hottest ticket, still ahead tonight. You won't break my soul. You won't break my soul. After breaking the record for most Grammys, all the world's a stage for Beyonce. Tickets to Beyonce's first world tour in seven years went on sale today, just hours after she became the most decorated artist in the history of the Grammys last night. Thank you so much. I'm trying not to be too emotional. And I'm trying to just receive this night. The 41-year-old picked up four golden gramophones, bringing her career total so far to 32. She'll hit the road in May for her Renaissance tour, which includes stops in Toronto and Vancouver. Grammy goes to You can read it. Harry Styles. <laughs> Harry Styles was also a big winner taking home album of the year for his record Harry's House, but it was the 78-year-old grandmother announcing his victory who really stole the show. Reina LaFontaisie, flown in from Sudbury, Ontario, became an overnight sensation as the Grammy's grandma. 
and Harry's representative, Super Fan. Okay, that moment in itself deserves an award, and this creation is also worthy of one. We'll explore the origins of this opus coming up next. A musical master is playing us out tonight. Haitian-Canadian composer David Bonton has been instrumental in orchestrating an opera steeped in Haitian lore and West African mythology. CTV's Vanessa Lee on his work of art. Powerful melodies echo through this Montreal rehearsal space. It's the sound of David Bonton's labor of love coming to life. I am very lucky, I am very proud, I am very happy. This is the Haitian-Canadian composer's first chamber opera in collaboration with l'Orchestre Classique de Montréal, which means Classical Orchestra of Montreal. Inspired by West African mythology and Haitian voodoo traditions, La Flambeau, or The Torch, criticizes corruption, misogyny, and the abuse of power. I hope it will help to demystify uh, views of voodoo culture and to realize that the world filled with respect and love. The 80-minute opera is sung in French with short passages in Haitian Creole offering not just a unique story and perspective. It's shining the spotlight on black opera singers in an artistic medium where they have long been underrepresented or not represented at all. Pretty much all of my, my performing life, I go into an audition and I'm the only person who looks like me. Throughout his career, tenor Paul Williamson has faced discrimination because of the color of his skin. He says this is the very first time he will be on stage with such a diverse cast. To have an opera that is predominantly for people of, of my ethnic background and my skin color, it, it is, it's, a, it's a relief and it's also, we've been waiting for this for a long time. The long wait comes to an end tomorrow night with the highly anticipated premiere an overture of culture and tradition. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. Haiti sadly has much in common with Turkey and Syria, all countries that are prone to earthquakes, but out of the rubble, resiliency always rises. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you and see you tomorrow.